Uh, all right, uh, listeners, uh, church, family, uh, community uh, here in the Sulphur Springs Valley, state of Arizona, and around the world. Welcome to the second episode of the Black Top Pulpit. Uh, we're here to talk about living life reformed, and uh, we're talking about the doctrines of grace. Uh, I am Andrew. I'm the pastor of the church at Sunsites, and uh, joining me again this week is um, uh, one of our members, Ken Duffy. And today uh, we are talking about total depravity, and uh, this is one of those doctrines that people hear it, and automatically it starts setting off um, the alarm bells of the mind, because we, being the, I guess the prideful people we are, we don't want to think about the fact that we might be totally depraved. Um, so I guess the first thing we should do is just try to define what what total depravity is. <laughs> <laughs> what, that is what is kind it? of crazy <laughs> how it bothers people so much, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think if I were to answer that quickly, it would be just the, a, a spiritual condition mm. of, of ourselves, of our souls. You know, we're, 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 we're dead, mm. um, which again, when we talk about weird reactions from people hearing about told the depravity, um, it's a very biblical statement to say we are dead. I mean, Paul, Paul hits that frequently. You're, you're all, you're all dead in Adam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're alive in Christ. You know, it's like, the wages of sin is death. You know, it's like if, if you look at the if you look at the state of mankind from a biblical perspective, you can't come out of it um, with any other answer than saying dead. Yep, yeah. we're we're definitely a there's nothing there um, as far as our our spiritual abilities. Um, so yeah, I would say a condition of our of our spirit or soul. I remember the first time, like I came uh, to the church at Sunsites in December 2018, and one of the first sermons I preached, um, we started walking through the church belief statement. That's the first thing I did when we got here, uh, after talking about you know what what the church is and uh, you know the purpose of the church and and that kind of stuff. And the first time I mentioned total depravity from the pulpit, um, which is interesting because this is a Reformed church, so most of the people here. I know exactly what total depravity is, um, because the previous pastor intentionally like moved the church in that direction, so it would be a reformed church. But I guess someone who was here uh, wasn't here while he was here, at least when he talked about total depravity. So I mentioned it from the pulpit, and after the service, they were like, "What? People aren't totally depraved. People are perfectly capable of making good decisions and uh, and doing good things in the world." <laughs> <laughs> and that's like most of the time people hear total depravity and they're like what do you mean i can do good stuff <laughs> mm. uh, how would you respond to that like i know how i responded to it but i mean how would you respond to it yeah um so that the the, the practical uh, approach of you know responding to a spiritual condition of death so you can do good things you can um, compliment somebody. You can um, help an old lady across the street. Um, you could donate to charity, and uh, those types of acts, yeah, they they would uh, be perceived by by fellow men as good. Um, and even in a, and from a redeemed perspective, um, those would be good things. Yeah. But uh, the the death, um, the the spiritual death that we 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 have uh, makes us 
wretched to God, mm-hmm. uh, that anything that we would respond to in trying to do good um, only rather than just uh, be marred with sin, it, it actually in, in, it, it incites his wrath. So when we try to do good and be good um, in a fallen condition that we've already been uh, rebels of God and spiritually dead, then no, I, um, th- those things uh, anger God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was uh, at Stronghold Cafe um, there to play some music because I play music there on Saturday nights. That's kind of cool. And I was talking with the, mm-hmm. with the fellow who... Um, he said, uh, yeah, uh, I was raised in church. He was raised Jehovah's witness. And I don't know if I would classify yeah. that as a church. And in fact, I know I wouldn't classify it as a, as a church. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, he said, yeah, I was, I was raised in, in religion. I was raised in church and, and I just, uh, I don't see, don't see the point of it all. You know, life's just about being a good person and, and helping people out. He said, when I go, when I go out to, to some, I don't want to give too many details here. Cause um, I don't want people to know who I'm talking about. He said, sure. You know, when I go out, uh, it's akin to like saying, if I, I go out to the woods and I, that's a spiritual experience for me, that's my church. And that's not even getting close to the definition of church and, and what church actually is and what it accomplishes. Um, but he says, uh, uh, you know, but, but I, started defending himself i said well, wouldn't that just be self-worship aren't you doing that just because that's what you know satisfies satisfies you and wouldn't that be akin to self-worship and he said no no i don't worship myself i i, I help a lot of people okay hmm. um and the next question was well why why do you help a lot of people and the answer was well, because it, it makes me a good person and that that again just goes back to that self sort of self sort of righteousness and then Later on, you know, uh, later that week on Facebook, he was posting about how he was he was done helping people because nobody ever recognized how he helped people, and uh, he was just done helping people who didn't do anything for him or didn't benefit him at all. And like that's that's the way of the world, and that brings up like that makes me think Isaiah chapter sixty four verse six, where the prophet he just comes out and says, "All of your righteous deeds." They are filthy rags before God. That doesn't mean you can't do anything that might could be considered good. It's just we do good things um, from a motivation that's not God-honoring, right? Philanthropists give a lot of money to the poor. Why? It makes them look good and feel good. And that's mm. that ultimately comes back to selfish motivation uh, in all of that. All of our righteous deeds. This includes Christians, right? Anything good that we try to do. Many times it just comes from selfish motivation and self-worship. And I, you know, that just goes right back to human depravity, uh, that none are good. All, all people are dead in their, in their trespasses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, man, when you think about, you mentioned, you mentioned Christians and it's like, it's like, especially from, from a reformed perspective, we, we herald the Soli Deo Gloria, right? Mm-hmm. Glory to God alone. Um, and realizing from, from a, a redeemed sense, you know, a, a redeemed perspective, you know, when, when we have been covered and, and we no longer um, receive uh, or do or do God's wrath, mm-hmm. it's like the, the works that we do are still so so skewed and tainted right? right like like it's not even like we we are now 
an action like this righteous person that yeah. does things out of good motivation <laughs> right and, like so some, yeah and there there are some people who uh refer to themselves as christians that will do that right oh i'm a christian now now i'm good yeah. and it's like <laughs> no just being a christian doesn't even like make you good uh weigh weigh your motivations and weigh your heart and see that you are mm-hmm. still depraved <laughs> <laughs> and which which keeps us from boasting at all like look at look at the good things that i did um it keeps us from doing that um, because even when we do good things there's still going to be some selfish motivation there and like even while i'm preaching i have to recognize this in myself right even when i'm preaching in front of people there's always mm-hmm. there's always this temptation to be like yep i'm the smartest person in the room and yeah i mm-hmm. and 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 i'm i'm pretty much an expert in my field right and i yeah. and I, I devote my time to study the bible so i know it better than most people and i can answer questions and there's a there's a temptation toward pride that comes along with that and i it's just a constant reminder for me that well actually no i'm still totally depraved um and i and i actually have no room to boast and even my righteous deeds are like Still, they're like filthy rags before God. The only hope I have is divine intervention um, in yeah. this and the Holy Spirit working. Like that's the only hope I have. No matter how many good things I do or how intelligent I am or, or how good I get at raising my children, any of that. And this this is the most humbling doctrine for I mean this is and this is where we start as a reformed church, and it's the most humbling doctrine that anybody can can wrestle with because it means well, crap, you know, my, my religion's worthless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think like, as far as the doctrine's concerned from a starting point uh, on Tulip as well, like this is, this is a good, uh, this is a good test to look at um, yourself, myself. Like, like if you're saying, am I in the faith? Do I love the Lord? Mm. Am I, am I really, do I belong? Do I belong to God? Yeah. It's like if if you still have that sense of being a good person, or even this post conversion. I'm doing the air quotes here just yeah. for the the audience sake. But this post this post conversion or this false conversion, where if you if you think um, there's goodness in you, um, or there's or something redeemable about you. Uh, that's a big red flag that should be thrown up in, in people's lives and in, in, in my life. You know, when I, when I, you know, we test ourselves, right. And, and we, uh, we, we confirm that we're in the faith, you know, it, it's a good thing to do. It's an instructed thing to do. Uh, this is, this is a good starting point that says, well, well, what am I, what is my nature and what am I to, to God or what at least was I? Yeah. Um, those are, those are good questions to ask, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you handed me this book on Sunday. This uh, "When the Man Comes Round" by Doug Wilson. Uh, you may, you may convert me to postmillennialism yet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but in his introduction, he says, uh, "Now some might say that only a madman would attempt to write a commentary on the Book of Revelation." But having gotten this far, the only thing that remains is to try to brazen it out. And so the world would say, <laughs> you know, in this sort of character, the world the world would say, only a madman would start talking about total depravity. 
<laughs> but uh, to come to Christ, it is something that we must we must brazen out, something that we must brazen out. So it's, it's a doctrine that we have to think about. This is the beginning of the gospel message, and it's our humiliation. Our humiliation is the beginning of the gospel message, at least how the gospel applies to to people. And people don't realize that they just they just come out straight away and say. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, mm. Well, yes, <laughs> that wonderful plan is not your plan, and that's also not the starting point. The starting point is you are a wretched sinner deserving of God's wrath. <laughs> and that's essentially what we're getting right. at with total depravity. Um, do you think, I'm going to start walking through the points that I that I sent you here just as some conversation topics. Do you think that um, our depravity is... Is post-fall or pre-fall? Like, is it a result of original sin, and that's why we're in a depraved state? Or or is human depravity, does it have something to do with human nature, the unrighteous nature and nature that even belonged to Adam and Eve pre-fall? Because this, this means something for our understanding of uh, what it means to be depraved. Yeah, I... I think this is a fantastic question. <laughs> Me and, too. And it, a, it, it, it is one of those. Yeah, of course you think it's great. <laughs> you know, I came up with it. Of course I like it. Like... <laughs> uh, but it really, it's it's one of those stimulating questions that that if if you don't jump off it quick, like you could you could really have some lengthy conversations and and, and thoughts about this because so 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 where I would start with this idea is is the the actual doctrine that we have. So the, the, the doctrine that is was formulated based off of scripture um, of total depravity, I would say, I would say this is, this is something that occurred um, at Adam's, at Adam's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was, this was a spiritual change or condition yeah. that, uh, that Paul even talks about. This is a, a death because of Adam's sinning. Mm-hmm. And something changed. It was altered. Um, the 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 fall occurred, and 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 uh, men's depravity, mankind's depravity, was a result of that. Mm-hmm. Now, this this idea <laughs> where this gets deeper um, of like, well, he he was deprived, but what about before <laughs> before he sinned? Like this yeah. idea is is really a, a good thought to reflect on because um, inability. I like that. Like, did you, I'm, and I'm I'm curious. Did you did you come up with the, the total inability, or is it like I haven't heard that doctrine or no, that proposal? I, uh, I am uh, using this book as a reference point. It's called the Five Points of Calvinism, uh, defined, defended, mm-hmm. and documented by David Steele, Curtis Thomas, and Lance Quinn. And the afterword is by John MacArthur. So yeah, this is the, <laughs> this, this is the book that I'm kind of referencing as I work through these definitions. Um, and okay. and uh, and in the book they they do define total depravity as beginning at the fall, and that's the way the doctrine mm-hmm. is formally defined. Is this is a result of original sin, the, the depravity yeah. of of our actions and our 
and our will, uh, the noetic effects of sin there, it's, that's what our depravity is, uh, and the limitation of our will to choose what is good over what is what is evil. There, good meaning what honors God, and evil meaning what does not, which goes to the motivation of our hearts like we talked about. But that's how it's, the doctrine is formally defined that way, but there has to be this sort of thing, because if, I mean, if, if, if Adam's nature didn't lead him to desire to do something that didn't honor God in the first place, then it's it's like there's no reason for him to have sinned and and taken all of humanity with him into the depraved state, which uh, I which I right. clarify as as the wretched estate. So what most people call total depravity, I just call the wretched estate of man. And then thinking about total depravity, I go back to the unrighteous nature of man too. So it's this depraved nature which is classified in scripture or defined in scripture as unrighteousness right the depraved nature mm. leads to the depraved state which is wretchedness and so depravity just kind of it seems to me an umbrella term that covers all of that um which is it's crazy to think about i went down that rabbit hole hardcore <laughs> well yeah i mean I, and, and, and i'm tracking with you um, I don't, I don't want to divert that that idea, but like when you when you say total inability versus total depravity, and again, would you even put them up against together each other? It, when I read the idea of total inability, like like I don't, I don't necessarily quickly get to the fall. I look at was Adam or Eve able to perfectly follow God's will or desire God's will? Mm-hmm. I guess the, the 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 question comes down to is the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, of creation, mm-hmm. uh, God, and this is the, this is the question that people I think don't like about this doctrine, it's like, right? It's like inability. The, what do you mean inability? Well, no, <laughs> yeah, I, but but it's more about God's sovereignty in creation because mm-hmm. if yeah. he he created Adam and Eve with the 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 plan set out for them to fall and rebel, like he created creation, mankind, not. Not with list like, oh, I know, you know, sometime in the future they're going to rebel against me. Like this was God's perfect plan for creation. Yeah. He made Adam and Eve, knew exactly what they're going to do. It was His plan and His will. Um, people don't like that, and and, no. and we should, like I wrestle over that, right? Like I'm not I, like, well, I'm reformed, so this is an easy question for me. Yeah, like no. this, I this didn't like it either. It's a... <laughs> I know. <laughs> understand? I didn't like this either until I came to understand all of. That, and I don't even understand all the implications now, but until I came to understand the implications, um, yeah. how it, you know, how it, um, how it came to fruition and with grace and mercy, Romans chapter 11, I think verse 32, something like that. God handed, God handed all people over to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. And how this mm-hmm. relates back to, you know, solely Deo Gloria again, and how we don't have any opportunity to boast like the whole reason for God's creation is his own glory. So he's, he's not going to create a world in which creatures get to win their own glory. He just, he isn't going to do that, but he still wants his image within creation. So he's got to humble us somehow. How does he do that? Handing us over to sin. That's, that's how it's done, you know, Uh, which is, it's really interesting to just trace all that out and draw, draw all that out. Um, yeah, so when I, when I talk about depravity, sometimes people will hear me say essential depravity, and I don't know if anybody else uses that term, but when I say essential depravity, I'm referring to 
the nature of humankind, even the nature of Adam, that led him to that led him to sin and to that depraved state and that and that state of inability. And it is it is my opinion. I can't prove this. It's hard for us to prove anything about exactly what the new earth will be like, right? And uh, and the and the glorified state of the person will be like. But it is my opinion that we will still be depraved, but we will all have the Holy Spirit and will have been, you know, perfectly perfectly clothed in Christ's righteousness and and conformed to His image, such that that uh, that depravity no no longer has rule over us. So. It's a. It's interesting to think about it all. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I want to understand that a little bit more. I'm curious. Your 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 thought is that we'll we'll still be deprived, um, from a a, a point where we don't fully or properly or righteously desire God, but do because of the Spirit or or or. Can you flesh that out a little bit for me to understand that? Yeah, a little bit so more? if it's, it's if an it's, interesting thought, yeah, if it's inability, um, mm. total inability, essential inability, and that's what we mean by depravity, then we we have a hypothetical scenario like on on the new earth. Then when creation is re reestablished, renewed, um, made like it was in the garden Garden of Eden, and we did not have the Holy Spirit, and we would basically be in the same state of Adam and still under temptation. But then with the Holy Spirit, we are not able, but the Holy Spirit is able. And then the Holy Spirit is the one living through us forever and ever. Therefore, even on the new earth and even in eternity, God is the one receiving all glory. And I still don't have the opportunity to glorify myself, right? Yeah, man, that really does. I mean, humility, like you mentioned before, is, is the key, like in our nature, without humility, like yeah, the, the whole the whole thing unravels, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I and I haven't taken the time yet to uh, to really like um, do do an academic study on, on that state or even uh, even really intensely look through Scripture to see if I can defend it from Scripture. It just logically, it seems to me that's how it would have to be. So I want our listeners to know I haven't proved that from Scripture yet. Um, always compare what we say on the show to the Scriptures um, before just jumping on board saying, yeah, um, all we can say at this point is, yeah, that would make sense. We can't say that's, that is how it's going to be. All we can say is, yeah, that makes sense. You know, Sola Scripture. That's why we did the five solas first. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Just, um, just a reminder: we have some theories. Gotta, gotta test them. Gotta <laughs> test them. That's it. Uh, yeah. So even I'm like, eh, I hold that position humbly. <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of like yeah, our eschatology. Eh, it's argued from inference. We hold to it humbly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So yeah, um, one definition of depravity refers to the wretched post-fall estate. That's the formal definition of total depravity or total inability. And the other refers to the unrighteous nature of humanity. That that nature that is inherent within us, um, a a priori knowledge and desire that leads us to sin um, and causes us to 
to desire what is opposed to God, to desire our own our own glory and our self interest and our self preference rather than rather than God's. Uh, so this this is what total depravity is, and this is the nature of humankind. Um, brother, can we can we jump to scripture and, and do some exegesis today? Is that all right? Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, can we? <laughs> can can well we can. Uh, do we really want to? This is. We don't really want to know what Scripture says, do we? It's so so difficult to accept. <laughs> no kidding. Especially Ephesians chapter two, verses one through ten. <laughs> oh man! And this is yeah. Reading God's word really has a, a a unique way of cutting down to the heart. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. That's a it's a double edged sword, man. So let's uh, let's. Mm. Let's get sliced and diced today. <laughs> uh, all right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And uh, I'll just, as I'm reading, I'll stop to point out where, where we see total depravity in this passage. And you were dead. There it is. All right. I didn't have to go very far, did I? <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's total depravity. And you were dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the curse of this world. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. According to the prince of the power of the air, again, Genesis chapter 3, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so human depravity left unchecked, it submits us to the authority of of the prince of the power of the air. Uh, that's, that's Satan. And if we have not the Holy Spirit, and if Christ isn't covering us in, in His righteousness alone, um, we are we are under the authority of of Satan, who blinds us and guides us. So, important note there, verse three: among them, we too. So before we come to Christ, we're we're under this dark authority, and we live according to the desires of the flesh and the prince of the power of the darkness. Among them, we too all formerly walked. In the lusts of our flesh, according to our natural desires. That's where we get the idea of essential depravity, right? Because we we walk according to our own lusts, our own desires, our own preferences, our own identities, uh, politically and sexually, and uh, any any other way we can lust or desire or or identify ourselves, indulging in the desires of the flesh, doing what we want because we want to do it, and of the mind. And we were by nature, nature that has, that goes back farther, further, further. Okay. So just so our listeners know the difference between farther and further, I always get on my nerves when I use wrong terms. So I have to explain this farther is distance. Further is metaphorical distance, farther, literal distance, further, metaphorical distance. So we go, uh, this goes back further. than. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> this, this goes back further than than the fall of humankind. This is by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. So there's nothing in this world that makes someone who is a Christian better than someone who is not a Christian. Um, we're not better because we came to Christ. The only thing that makes a Christian different from a non-Christian or a true a true Jew different from different from anyone else in the world, the only thing that makes us different is 
God chose us and, and, and rescued us, ransomed us from our darkest state. That's the only thing. And so we, we can't even boast saying we're better than people of the world. It's, it's not a right that we have to do. We were even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, uh, and unable, totally depraved, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his own grace and his own kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And that's where I, maybe I can even look at that, talk about the new earth and, and the the nature, the state of humanity on the new earth, even being depraved, is um, so that in the ages to come, he might show surpassing riches of his grace and kindness. It's still going to be all about him revealing himself, not about us being glorified. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by our nature, desire, or preference, or anything, only as a gift of God. How humbling is this? Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why isn't it a result of works? Well, because all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. Even if we're good enough from a human perspective, God, God's not impressed. Uh, he's not persuaded by our arrogance. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. He wants that to be known. We're his workmanship, not our own. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the Christ comes first and the, and the good works that actually honor God come after. And these good works that were prepared by God. We didn't even come up with this plan. Like we can't even do this. These good works are prepared by God beforehand so that we would walk in them for his glory and to exalt Jesus Christ. And we walk in them, of course, by the power of the Spirit. Um, so there it is. Like explicitly total depravity right there in the text of Scripture. And uh, you know, if a Christian wants to deny the doctrine of total depravity, they'll have to arm wrestle Paul to get Paul to remove this passage from Scripture. <laughs> they'll, have, right. they'll have to arm wrestle Christ so that Christ doesn't inspire Paul to to write this in the text. Um, just denying. Yeah, and that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and another, I mean, just simple reality when working through that passage, there is no, there is no second part of this. Uh, comparison of of death and life. There is no, um, you were dead, and then you were presented with a, a choice, and you know anything like that. Like th there's something. There's there's two things that's very plain. You're you're dead, and you need to be alive um, in order to be saved. And and there's there's nothing in there that uh, promotes this idea that the the death and depravity of men. Um, would want God. On the contrary, um, he explicitly talks about what we do want, mm -hmm. uh, that we pursue uh, what pleases us, we pursue what um, doesn't please God. Um, that's our, our nature, that's what we desire. And well, how do you get out of that? There, there is, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You're dead. And Paul doesn't add in any um, middle ground here. You were dead and then you were made alive with Christ. That's how you were saved. And how were you made alive with Christ? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you know, that's it. When it's, 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 it's so interesting because uh, you walk into a typical 
typical church and uh, present a gospel message. And then they'll start using language like, don't you want to stay out of hell? And don't you want to go to heaven? And want, don't you want, don't you desire to do that? And they'll say, if, if you want to have a relationship with Christ, just repeat after me and say this prayer. And so people will say the prayer and then they'll just continue living according to their desires. And we don't see any of that in scripture. You go back to even John chapter three and Jesus doesn't say, if you desire to get to heaven or desire to, you know, whatever, um, desire to stay out of hell, Sheol, then you'll pray a prayer. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, Nicodemus, to even see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And that's where Jesus starts. Like it's, it's this, I, of my nature and of the world, I, because of total depravity, I don't seek after God. And that's Romans chapter three, right? No one seeks after God. No one is good. No one does that. Uh, that's why it's so dangerous for churches to be like seeker sensitive churches, like draw them in and, and persuade them to accept the gospel. No, no one seeks after God. God is the one who seeks after people he chooses for himself. And he regenerates the heart. And he says, hey, boom, this new birth, spiritual birth. He regenerates the heart. And at that moment, it's like revival. It's like it's like a, a switch is flipped in our hearts. And at that moment, like we can see the kingdom of heaven. And the scales fall from our eyes. And we become completely addicted to the glory of, of God. And nothing, nothing less will do. Nothing else will do for us. Nothing else will... Well, uh, it's like an, it's like a bad addiction, you know. I, I have to do. That. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's where I love too. Like even with um, just looking at Jesus as a great example of his his witness to people, um, he he would he would just make the clear statement: if you if you have ears to hear what I'm saying, mm-hmm. then let you hear. Yeah, that it, hear it. it wasn't anything else. Like it, it, like he he was proclaiming the truth. And he knew those who belonged to him mm. would hear him, yeah. you know, and, and that, that's what he says. Like, like I'm, I speak and if you're my sheep, you hear me and you come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was no, again, no, like really rustling decision making. And, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, I'm, I'm kind of living my life right now. And no, this is like proclaim, proclaim the gospel. Um, those who God is saving through the proclamation of the gospel will hear and 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 that's the miraculous um, yeah, event that occurs as God brings that person to life through the proclamation of scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's incredible, incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I want to get back to like so this doctrine of total depravity. I think we've done a pretty a pretty decent job defining that. Um, you know, uh, explaining what it is and. Uh, and why it's important to recognize that every single person, um, Christian or not, in Christ or not, is in by his own nature totally depraved, uh, essentially depraved, totally unable. And this doctrine, it really works to humble us. And one of the things I want to do in this in this podcast is just really bring it down to, down to the blacktop. So the realization of our own depravity, um, this this really does prepare us for all of life. 
um, pride actually uh, disables us from really living life to the fullest. Uh, it really disables us from living a satisfying, a content life um, because pride causes us to always seek more. So pride, if we don't recognize our own depravity and the fact that we really don't deserve anything, um, men, uh, they'll, they'll get married or they'll get into a relationship and they'll, they'll always recognize what's wrong with their partner and they'll always seek to be with a better partner or make their partner better. And that just makes for tension in a relationship, right? So if we don't recognize human depravity, it leads to pride, it leads to broken relationships. And, and parents, uh, they, don't, they don't humble themselves to actually raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because what I have planned for my life I need to do that. So I need to make sure I can get a babysitter or make sure my kid can go to school so somebody else can raise my raise my kids. And all that just comes from the pride of life. We don't recognize our own depravity, the fact that actually we don't deserve to make a name for ourselves and we don't we don't deserve all of this all of this stuff. Um, and so it causes us to, to force other people to raise our children and, and it breaks up the family unit, breaks up the household. Uh, it is our, it is our pride that causes us to, uh, even something as simple as sleep in on Sunday mornings and not devote ourselves to the church family. And so I think of, um, the prideful people who say something to the effect of, yeah, I, I love Jesus and I like Jesus okay, but I really don't need the church, even though it's impossible to love Jesus without loving his body and devoting ourselves to a local church family, a body of believers. It's pride that keeps us from doing all that. And it's pride that causes us to be so focused on ourselves as as consumers and producers that it tears apart all of society. And it's pride that causes us to think that a government built by us would be better than a government built by Christ. Um, all of that is pride. So this talk of human depravity, it like, it it means something here and now. It's not just ethereal and out there and like, oh yeah, human depravity, cool. And it's just a, it's only a a doctrinal conversation. No, this is a practical conversation too. So here toward the end of the episode, I want to get at the the practicality here. Um, the realization of our depravity um, is necessary for us to have meaningful, lasting and joyful relationships with people. Um, how does human depravity prepare us to have, um, and I'll, I'll just kind of ask you these questions and see how you would answer these. How, how does the recognition of human depravity uh, actually prepare us to have meaningful, successful, blessed marriage relationships? I think, I think marriage is one of the, the greatest things to look at when understanding um, or trying to understand the need uh, for humility, but also the, the the truth of what it is to be totally deprived in God's grace on us. Um, because, I mean, Paul even talks about marriage being this profound thing about uh, Christ and his relationship with his church. Mm-hmm. And now we are, we are modeling this awesome reality and this oneness we have with Jesus um, we're modeling this in a very tangible and practical way. So the implications of of these doctrines, and then the essentiality of is that a word? Essentiality of the, it of, is um, now, bro. Humility. <laughs> I like it. I, I, I think you know we should just keep making up words. And, I mean, it. it seems everyone else is just making them up and putting them in Webster these days. So, That's <laughs> but it. yeah, the, how it, it's essential that because the. <sighs> 
when we are when we are facing our 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 earthly relationships specifically with our spouses um and you could add other people into this mm-hmm. this idea um to be to be wronged um and and to be offended can 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 feel so deep i mean you look at any example you want it could be someone just your your wife or husband disrespecting you or not doing what you feel they should do it could be as offensive and and horrible as um infidelity you know Uh, this this idea of being wrong and 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 then let's take that because that's such a huge one right infidelity um it's so powerful so destructive Mm -hmm. and 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 like you you have this offense against you and you know like the first reaction, you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve my grace. Like you, you wronged me. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the quickness this is of it is unforgiveness. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to work through that idea, um, in, in a way that ha- takes into perspective what we are mm-hmm. against God, apart from Christ, yeah. you know, you cannot come to any conclusion other than like, like you have to, you have to really resonate with, well, well, I am, I am this to the Lord, you know, what, what that offense against me was or what offense I did against uh, my spouse um, is what in a very human way I was against God. It was way more atrocious um, creation rebelling against God almighty yeah. Um, but then working into that humility, I mean, that is restorative. It is, it, it brings us to a point um, in every relationship and particularly marriage that, that causes us to forgive yeah. all trespasses against us, no matter all how grief. Yeah, man. And it's, yeah. you imagine like what this means for like the divorce rate, um, understanding the historic doctrines of the faith and, and biblical doctrines that are clearly presented to us. Like if if we know our place in the world and we understand that we we are depraved, our spouses are depraved. There, there's gonna be no divorce. There's there's only going to be forgiveness when mistakes are made, when people are lied to, and that's going to strengthen relationships. And that's it's it's going to teach us what love really is. Um, and people don't realize that they're like, nah, we just need love and we don't need theology. Do you realize theology is the thing that causes us to love? Like this, this is where it's mm-hmm. at. Um, and, it, and it works out explicitly in marital relationships. Yeah. And in, when, we, when we're parenting our children too, um, like <laughs> we, we recognize that people are depraved. Um, we're not going to react harshly when our children mess up. Instead, we're going to say, okay, well, let's find a just discipline a discipline that will help train our children rather than just punishing them, you know? So it works right. out, works out when we're parenting too. Um, and in many ways, and then if we know our own depravity, then we know, okay, uh, I need to seriously think about how I'm going to discipline my children and also recognize that I'm going to be wrong sometimes. And sometimes I am going to sin against my children and I need to be humble enough to man up and, and apologize when it's time for me to do that and teach, so my, teach, yeah, teach my children that, Hey, I'm depraved too. um, place your faith in, in Jesus. And then you'll be prepared to honor me as your father. And as children, then like, if you don't recognize Christ as Lord and God is sovereign, the only righteous one, you're not going to be able to honor your parents because 
all you'll do is rebel against the way that they're they're raising you and that problem parents are going to make mistakes and take missteps yes um but if we rebel against our parents that's a sign that we haven't trusted in the sovereignty and grace of of god and recognized our own depravity and so that even empowers children to actually honor their parents which which is amazing it's something that is almost absent in in the united states today um and Mm -hmm. it all goes back to this doctrine total depravity Um, also in church ministry why would this matter in church ministry why would total depravity impact church ministry at all well i mean it it depends on what what perspective you're looking from just a member and member or even in leadership um as far as um guiding the uh, the flock um, with member to member issues here. I mean, this is the, the relational aspect of, of acknowledging sin in each other, which we're supposed to do. This is the hard part, right? Uh, of, of acknowledging like we're, we're, we want to be humble. We want to be loving. Uh, we want to be <laughs> doctrinal, but like it, it, we, we don't say, well, I'm a sinner too. So, we, so, so whatever. More <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, like this is, this is where we realize like we're both wretches and, and, and we both, deserved mm-hmm. and deserve condemnation but god rescues us from that yeah. um and we're made new we're given life um we're instructed very clearly that that we should correct each other's sin bring up each other's sin lovingly mm-hmm. uh, and and no, going into that with the humility knowing like i'm no different bro like like right. we are we are both sinners and we both struggle whether it's in same areas or different areas mm-hmm. uh, but we are placed here in the part of the ministry of the church being in a body together is um dealing with sin part of it uh i i've i this is this is another i mean a little little rabbit trail idea part of it like the the, the i say that like that just was a key word for me because um i'm, I'm trying to think i think it was my brother-in-law who mentioned uh, the like the purpose of the church is dealing with sin, and I don't want to misquote him, right. um, but that idea um, was one of those kind of thoughts too. Was like, man, like the centrality of the work of the church, the ministry of the church is mm-hmm. sin. It's confronting and dealing yeah. with sin. Um, Again, an idea. Uh, I'm not going to try to wrestle that. Uh, I'm sure. Doctor. I'm sure there'll be another episode later. We'll talk about. It. <laughs> you know, as a, <laughs> yeah. Well, even as even as a pastor, right? So it's yeah. It's tempting for a pastor to think, oh, and to develop a messiah complex, and to think, oh, mm-hmm. I'm here. The congregation needs me. I'm the expert. But then total depravity like we have this in mind like i am totally depraved as the pastor of a church therefore my mentality cannot be the church needs me and my mentality right. cannot be i'm here to save the church and i am here to you know and I, and if i'm not here then then the church isn't going to be built up or succeed and they can't because we're i'm totally depraved so my only mentality coming into this is how can I serve the body? My spiritual gift is teaching. So I teach not to exalt myself um, because that's fruitless, right? That would be the result of pride, not to exalt myself, but instead to to build up the body in the nurture and admonition of of the Lord. And that's my, that's, that is my labor of service to the community of faith, to the body of believers. And if I can serve in any other way than then I try to do that because I'm not more important than, than anyone else. In fact, the church body, 
all of a sudden we start seeing other people as more important than ourselves. Oh, this sounds like the teaching of Jesus. Consider others to be more important than yourselves. Oh, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the, the greatest among you must become your servant, must wash your feet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that language from Jesus starts to make sense um, because we're totally depraved. So even like in church work and church ministry, uh, the pastor is not more important than the rest of the church. As one reason it's important to have a, a body of elders, plural, rather than just having one pastor slash CEO slash guy of the church who kind of tries to decide everything. It's, it's important. Um, this doctrine carries out in, in our, our work, wherever we work, if we, if we have employment somewhere, uh, the same principle applies. Work is ministry, and we are designed to, to work. We are designed to labor. But our work doesn't become some sort of means to exalt ourselves the work is satisfying in and of itself, and we are there to serve others. Why? Because we're totally depraved. So total depravity speaks into that, speaks into how we, you know, do government stuff, how we participate in the governments of the world, and and how we, how we vote, um, and how we react when something doesn't go our way, or when people are are doing something that we don't like. Total depravity plays into all of that. Um, one last application. I'm I'm kind of rushing through these because we're running out of time. I want to try and keep the episodes under an hour. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, other applications. Katie and I uh, stumbled across a video about how the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, in some ways, seems to be going woke and like um, seems to be converting mm-hmm. to like a, a social gospel or a gospel of social justice. So I want to spend a little bit of time on this because it's it's something that means something for our convention and something that means something for our members here. How does the doctrine of total depravity just inform the way we think about social justice and the woke church movement? Oh man, you want to you want to end with this and not go over an hour? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, and if 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 anybody requests it, we'll be glad to do a we'll be glad to do an episode on on the social gospel, social justice, and woke church. Um, so if you're listening and you request that, um, we'll we'll do that after we finish the doctrines of grace. But if you don't, then we won't. So, I, I, I man, like if I were to if I were to think about this and. And this is obviously a quick reflection, um, just being brought up the topic. Um, I I hear, I hear this idea of equality and, and I I would say the very quick thing I would, I would scream from the top of a, of a, a mountain to to all mankind is just to remind them of this, this doctrine that we're talking about today. You and I are all Mm. equally deprived and dead yeah in our natures like like if you want to talk about equality and justice we are we are we all deserve god's wrath equally we we all have offended him equally we all um rebel against each other equally and want to bring harm and war to each other and god equally uh that that's where i feel the the very important prominent reality of and that is in opposition to these ideas being proposed mm-hmm needs to be heralded is is we are equal and 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 the reason that this is a conversation um is because it's showing our depravity it's showing why only the gospel will rescue us from this yeah um is, is is because we are we are 
we're dead and we need to be made alive and only God can do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think about social justice and the woke church movement and social justice is a term that has been assigned to a movement that valuates people based on the color of their skin, their gender identity, the gender identity, um, or, or their sexual identity. Um, and it, it's, it's just a whole system that evaluates people based on those things, uh, oh which boy. exalting people based on the color of their skin is unjust. Considering right. some to be more important than others based on their sexual identity or gender identity is, is completely unjust. So the social justice movement of our day is actually social injustice. Um, just if we want to think about it logically, it's actually just social injustice. Now the Bible talks about real justice. Um, justice whereby we are measured by our moral action and motivation, not the color of our skin or, or identity in any way. And total depravity informs us to let us know we are all damned and we stand condemned because we have all sinned against a holy God. And then to understand the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus means that when we look at our neighbor sinning against us or oppressing us or offending us in any way, and it's like, oh, we understand human depravity. I was depraved. I sinned against God. And my sin against God was greater than my neighbor's sin against me, no matter how grievous that sin. And since God forgave me, I can forgive my neighbor. All of a sudden, all of this talk about uh, affirmative action, or making restitution to people based on the color of their skin or sexual identity. It just doesn't make any sense in light of the true gospel because the true gospel informs us about human depravity and forgiveness, not valuation based on physical characteristics and then restitution being made. So the social gospel is completely contradictory to the gospel. And that's just kind of what I wanted to mention here. Like biblical doctrine, it informs that. Um, and to the Southern Baptist Convention and any church within the Southern Baptist Convention that is being given over to the woke movement or social justice or the social gospel, please, please, please repent and turn back to Christ. Uh, the true gospel demands for repentance and forgiveness and the equality of all people at the foot of the cross, understanding that we are all depraved. So I just I want to call my con my convention, my denomination, to repentance in this moment because because a large portion of the SBC is it's it's committing idolatry and blasphemy by exalting this social gospel, social justice movement. It grieves my heart. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's also important when this conversation is brought up, um, even just to mention in passing, um, and I believe I could even speak for you with the idea that we care about a lot of these issues that are being. Yeah, we, this we, is this we is the reality that we're not we're we not saying about. certain things don't exist. We're not saying um, this isn't a problem. We're saying like the, the, you're trying to join together like worldly philosophies and propositions yeah. with the Bible and God's purpose and plan for redeeming people. Like like it doesn't work. And that's the problem is we love 
people. We we love and are hurting with brokenness in people. Mm. Um, but we are hurting to see especially knowledgeable Christians trying to adapt something that is going to destroy people. Yeah. And, and that's not that's not overly strong language. Like like right. this idea, this philosophy is destructive. It is anti-Christian. It is anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and where it saturates into people's lives, it will ruin them. Yes, it will. And it's, and it's yeah. that idea, like these systems come from the, the depraved human spirit, the depraved human mind, and the depraved human heart. And we're trying to marry those with, with perfect scripture and it, it doesn't work. So we, we care about the issues of abortion and racism and we care mm-hmm. about speaking into the marriage controversy of the world and we and we care about defining marriage biblically and having that conversation and, and we care about you know lovingly explaining why we don't believe homosexuality to be to be a, a valid uh, sexual or marital practice we we care to inform others and we, we care to reason with others and and love others we do care to love others no matter sexual orientation or gender identity or or the preferences of their heart we do want to love people and care for people and, and explain the gospel and we, we do want real healing to come to the land but the social gospel is not how we get there it doesn't work and uh, in, in every century the social gospel has come up and it has been proven not to work in every century since Christ. And uh, and we just need to look at history and learn from that, man. No kidding. And then even the idea of loving people, though the word love has been hijacked mm, um, yeah. from inside and outside the church. And uh, its definition is, has been lost. Mm. Um, there, there, There's a, a critical importance to love people and to love them well. And to love people well, you have to love them the way uh, Jesus loved us. Yeah. And he showed us how to love, uh, and we have to model that, mm-hmm. and that's how we love people. And, right. and a lot of people don't like that truth, don't like that revelation of who, who Christ is yeah. and, and what we are supposed to also be yeah. for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the doctrine of total depravity speaks to what it means to, to love others. So if my loving others means that there's something inherently about them that I particularly like or that my by my preferences I'm interested in, uh, that is a very selfish way to love someone else, right? Um, but if I'm totally depraved and someone else is totally depraved, that informs me to love in a way that is that is selfless and not based on my own preferences, but instead based on God's design, which is really important mm-hmm. to realize, you know. Well, all right, I think that's probably all the time we have. Uh, yep, definitely all the time we have. <laughs> so, uh, y'all, this has been a black top pulpit by the church at Sunsites life reformed. Be sure and go check out the, uh, the church at sunsites.com. Uh, you can just type in the church at Sunsites on Google and it will come up for you. Check out the search church at sunsites.com. Be sure and pray for the ministries. Check out the resources that we provide. Watch sermons. Uh, the sermons here are so good. So uh, I'm not biased at all on them. Uh, so <laughs> so amen. Check, amen. Check those out and uh, be sure and click that donate button so we can continue to provide resources for you, our community, our world, uh, and continue to do ministry as a local church. Continue to 
conquer this world uh, in a loving and peaceful way for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or, or rather, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as He's already done that work. Uh, we will catch you next week.